Welcome to the War Podcast. Hello and welcome to the War Podcast. For today, we have Erin with us. Erin is a war vet in Afghanistan, and she's going to tell us more about herself. Erin, why don't you kick us off and tell us and our listeners a bit about, about yourself, where you've been, what you've been doing, and how is life? All right. Hello, my name is Erin, and I'm a U.S. Air Force veteran of four years. Um, I got out of the service in 2008 after my deployment to Afghanistan. Right now, currently, I'm a mom of two, and I'm a college student and currently unemployed, which kind of goes into this PTSD war talk. How long were you in Afghanistan? You said four years. Tell us about your time there. What what were some of the things that you liked, some of the things that you didn't like? And how do you see yourself, you know, after all these years, what kind of memories do you keep with yourself from that time? Okay. Well, starters. <laughs> well, I was there for only um, seven months in Kandahar, mm-hmm. but in the Air Force, I was there for four years. Um, I would kind of date back a little bit my deployment right before Afghanistan. I was actually deployed to Iraq. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was where a lot of the trauma took place for my PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um I came back from Iraq and I couldn't cope with ordinary life and every day it just seemed boring and just not really boring because war's not fun. <laughs> but you got used to the the hyper awareness. And when that was taken away in a normal town, it was, I couldn't cope. So I volunteered to go on the next deployment. And that was like four months later, three to four months later after I came back, which is kind of unheard of in the Air Force at that time. So, Where were you stationed in uh, Iraq? I was in Baghdad. I was in Baghdad. about About Baghdad. How did you find it? Did you go out into the streets? Did you meet people? Did you meet Iraqis? So I was in um, Camp Sather, or Sather, I don't know how they pronounce it, (laughs) the whole time. So I was Air Force um, Security Forces, which is military police, and we did a lot of flight line security and things like that for the international airport that was the bases were centered around. Um, I worked a lot of search pits. I worked ECP points and a lot of other things. Um, Iraq at that time was during, right before the surge and during the surge. And it was probably, I don't even know how to explain it. The nighttime, I, I worked days half the time and then nights the rest. And nighttime was lit up nonstop with rockets bombs incoming. Um, the prison was right behind us. And keep in mind, I was there during the time Saddam was hung. So the prison riot music, they would play for soft torture, you know, the CIA would, and different things like that where it was just chaos nonstop. You could never find a clear moment. Caskets, flag draped coffins everywhere, helicopters going out, gunfire incoming, it was so much that whenever we had incoming rockets, we never even went to bunkers. We just, you couldn't, or you'd be there the whole time. Yeah. And what was your worst memory that you remember? What what happened in Iraq that really affected you? 
I think it was the whole experience, really. Um, one of the ECP points I was working, it was actually at the search pit, and we had a special forces unit coming through that had came straight from Baghdad. And um, we were told that we had to search their vehicle because they just came in from Baghdad. And my sergeant at the time, he he was making a big deal out of it and said they have to be searched. But the sad thing and the terrible part was they were headed to the morgue because one of their best buddies was just killed in action. And um, he was making a big deal out of us having to search the truck. And um, since I had prior medical experience, I told him I'll search it, you know, and stuff. And so when they pulled up, the, the special forces team got out of the vehicle and the looks on their face, I mean, they just came from incoming fire. <laughs> I mean, their their best friend is dead in a body bag, halfway in the seat and halfway in the floorboard. And um, there's brain matter on the back seat, and, you know, and it's, it's just horrid. It's horrid. And I'm going to have to open this body bag and search it because of my sergeant, knowing damn good and well that, oh, can I say that? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Knowing dang good and well that um, that they just where they came from and that there wasn't a, a bomb placed inside this bag, right? And so the the look on these men, their men's face, just really got to me. Like they hated me and they hated life. They hated everything. They didn't understand. They were grieving. I mean, they had the adrenaline rush. They were ready to fight. And um, with those orders, it really affected me. And um, then my sergeant came out and was like, oh, no, you don't have to search it after after I unzipped it and started, you know. And I felt so very insensitive at that moment. And um, I carried a lot of shame and guilt from that because I didn't want to, but somebody had to do it. I thought other than that, <laughs> the countryside was beautiful. The palaces that Saddam had built at the time were just beautiful. So on my one day off, after you do your laundry, um, my favorite thing was to check out a Humvee and just kind of drive around the different bases and just sightsee a little bit while I was there. I was so used to the incoming and the firefights and everything that whenever we, uh, whenever I came back and then left for Afghanistan, um, we got off the airplane. I remember it was just so quiet. It was like deadly quiet. <laughs> and eerie feeling. It felt like I was still stateside, to be honest, at that time. And I think that kind of got to me a little bit more because I was expecting the same experience as when I was in biop. And um, so I had to really still deal with some PTSD in Afghanistan at the time. And that was that was a hard transition. I vividly remember everything about it. Um, there was one point in time where I didn't. I had blocked a lot of things out of my memory, but I go to counseling at the VA and did EMDR therapy and things like that to really get my brain, my memory back. And um, so after that, I started getting more memories of things and stuff like that, which has helped me a lot. Um, when it comes to what was the second question? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to process. Does it affect you today? What happened over there in Afghanistan and in Iran? Do you Very still much. see any of the effects staying with you today? Does it affect your day-to-day, -day, the decisions you make, the things you see? Oh, absolutely everything. It affects the way I parent. It affects everything in my life. Um, 
before before I joined the military, you know, my I was a very outgoing person, still kind of introverted, but, but I always went out, had friends, had a social life, never thought anything about it. Um, I loved life to laugh and and things. And then after joining the military and then some other things started to happen. And one thing that I would say that I think people really overlook in PTSD and stuff are, you know, accounts of sexual harassment that people go through because that is another sign of, that is another symptom of my decision-making when it came to um, going to deployments and things like that. But um, my life now, I seclude myself. I don't go out. Um, I have avoidance behaviors. I avoid appointments for anything. Um, Any change in my schedule, I dread it. Even today with the podcast, I almost canceled because I just, everything that comes up, I I cancel or reschedule because I just can't. I don't know what it is, the demand of it. I'm always alert, on edge. Um, So back in 2001, or not 2001, 2021, during the Afghan withdrawal, um, I started participating in that. And at, at first, it didn't seem to affect me too much except for some of my friends that have been through my, by my side the whole time were like, yes, it did. You were so hard-hearted. And you were like the worst person. Like they, they wouldn't let me work with people on the ground, and they removed me from that and put me in the marketing because I was so insensitive and lacked so much, you know, just hardened. I lost a lot when I was in Afghanistan. I, I avoided dealing with a lot at the same time. And, um, because of that, I held a grudge. <laughs> so when it came to the Afghanistan withdrawal and the helps with that, um, really it just took a lot of exposure therapy to that and to hear the personal stories and to listen to other, to the civilians that were helping in the humanitarian work, to hear them say, I can't believe they're going through this and all these things. And it really kind of painted a different picture in my head of everything. And eventually God just broke my heart for the Afghans and for what really happened and the innocent civilians of Afghanistan, you know, um, because of that, I got so sucked in that it's a hyper-focus now. And I actually struggle to do anything in life and even schoolwork and different things like that. Everything revolves around Afghanistan now because it's actually become a hyper-focus for me in my way of coping. Um, I heard a song the other day, and it, it said something pretty significant, and it reminded me of, of the years since I've been out with my PTSD. And it said, sometimes flying feels, or sometimes falling feels like flying. And it's true. It really stuck to me. And I was like, you know what? It felt like I was flying whenever I was helping Afghans and doing evacuations and doing these things. It really felt like I was on top of the world. It was giving me that dopamine fix that of the PTSD that I needed to get through every day, but really I was falling because I was avoiding still, I was avoiding dealing with, with a lot of issues that I had endured over those times. Um, so yeah. in all these years, I've gotten really kind of nowhere in life. I feel like, I feel like I never got out. I feel like I, I've been stuck 
stuck since 2008, not knowing where to go, what to do, moving forward. I, I get that feeling. It's We've both been there. We've both seen yeah. what it could do to you. And, uh, you know, you could get out of the war is what I say, but getting the war out of you, that takes a whole other level of commitment and dedication to actually put that through. And we, we, oftentimes we try to sort of hide it. I mean, I, I have PTSD. I've had it twice now in my life. And both mm-hmm. times, once it was the birth of my daughter that helped me, you know, cope with things. Mm-hmm. And lots of good music too. But the second time, I, I still don't think I'm, you know, past it. I don't think I'm, I'm still cured. I've just bottled everything up. So, you right. know, after everything went to shit in, uh, you know, um, in, in August, two years ago, almost two years ago, after that, I just kept a very straight face, a very poker face going everywhere, do, still doing my work, doing stuff, keeping busy. But I knew what was happening. And I, and I was afraid that if I, for a second, even let, you know, admit to myself that it all happened. Everything that I worked my entire life for is just gone. Right. I wasn't ready to deal with the consequences of such an admittance. Yeah. It just puts you in a really shitty position. And yes, we are not PG-13, so you can say whatever you want. On this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's one of the, the principles by which I want to go forward with this one is that we're not going to censor anything. Okay. Yeah, that's just not us. We will say what we feel like. And all of that aside, I mean, the fact that you've been there and you're still here, that's, I think, a lot more than a lot of our other comrades and friends, uh, you know, squad mates could say. They're not here. We are. And I understand the guilt of it, the shame of it, that, you know, when you come back, it's not always, it's not pride that you bring back with yourself. Right. So it's, you know, um, one of those things. But here's an idea. You've been involved with Afghanistan for a while now. Even post-August 21, you have been involved. Yes. Where do you see yourself going with this? Like, this could go on for years. (laughs) What are your plans? Do you want to keep doing this, continue doing this, or do you have a plan to, I don't know, Move on, try other things. You know, that's a good question. Um, so right now, as a survival coping skill, I, you know, I started college, grad school, and studying um, terrorism and actually intelligence studies and terrorism. Um, I find myself going back to my main focus as why I enlisted in the first place, and that was to help innocent people You know, one thing I would have to say about the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, the average American people really did not know the history or could put the history together strategically like like a lot of Afghans know their history. You you know, Americans do not. (laughs) And um, we we know what we're fed through media and propaganda and um, we're told what to focus on and things like that. So. When it comes to that, I think that Afghanistan will always be a part of my life. I, I don't think I can ever let it go, um, what happened. The withdrawal, it was unbelievable. And um, 
it just after after really coping with some of the the events that happened to me in while I was there, um, it really kind of ha- I have this connection to it that I can't ever let go of. So future wise, I have no idea. I just take it one day at a time, as my you know therapy <laughs> says. <laughs> All I can handle is one day at a time, and I try to take care of what comes my way. Um, I study a lot of the history of the the Cold War, the you know Afghan Soviet War, and it goes into all the others and um you know the Iranian the Iran Contra wars and everywhere you know and it is it's still a battle we're fighting today through you know Russia and Ukraine and it's just the United States just keeps creating their own enemies everywhere so i think my focus is really strate- planning strategically and learning history i don't know if if it'll ever amount to anything <laughs> But it helps me cope right now. So. If, if you hadn't gone into the military, if you hadn't gone on tours to Afghanistan and Iraq, how do you think your life would have panned out? What would you be doing right now if, say, that didn't happen? Where would you That's be? Good. What would you be doing? I would be unfulfilled. You know, as terrible as things were in my life at the time and as terrible as the PTSD is to cope with, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world because it made me who I am. It made me, it gave me something that I could never get it from anywhere else, I think. And what is that? The satisfaction of helping people, trying to to bring awareness to what's going on around the world, the corruptness, the just it's just very eye-opening I sometimes I think it would be nice to be naive and not know what's going on and just you know on Facebook or social media you see people going on these vacations and and different things like that where as I'm unemployed but here I am trying to scrape up money to to feed a family in Afghanistan and these different things you know and I've just I watched a a video not long ago about uh, humanitarian work and actually a retired CIA agent. And he talked about life being lonely outside of, you know, real life being lonely. (laughs) And um, no one else understands you. No one, no one knows what you do on a day to day basis. You don't do it for you. You don't do it for gratification. You, but the, the, terrors and the horrors that go along with it, they haunt you. And in order to to find relationships or to move on in life that understand that, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. <laughs> um, so honestly, I don't know what I would be doing. Before I enlisted, I traveled. I One day I told my parents I was going to Argentina for about a month. <laughs> I was only about 20 years old. <laughs> and uh maybe 19 maybe 19 and I took off and went to Argentina for a whole month and came back and you know I've always had a adventurous spirit and stuff and so even when I enlisted I didn't tell my parents until after I enlisted you know I can't imagine what it's like to have a daughter like me but actually I can because I have one like that now I was just about to say that give it a bit more time and you will go through the same experience yeah yes I will but that's okay and raising a son it actually helps me you know raise a son because 
I know what that adventurous spirit seeks and, and I've learned to, to be a better parent because of it. Just let them be themselves and to encourage whatever passions and dreams they have, whether it's to help people, you know, go to school, be a doctor, whatever it is they want to do, special forces, you know. Um, I think my experience has helped me to understand, to help parent better. It's, it's, just, it's a genuine question. It's a question that I keep asking myself every day. Do you think what you did there and what you did after that, you know, post-August 21, do you think it made a difference? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. Um after being deployed, you know, it just after seeing and learning a lot more about about current events and politics and different things like that. War-wise, no, it did not make a difference. Liberating the Afghan people and the Iraqi people, no, it did not make a difference. Um I would say that maybe it may I pray it made an impact in some people's lives personally. Um, I mean, it did mine, um, but for the for the U.S. goal and whatever that was, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, you know, I I am very thankful that the people that God has brought to my life through the evacuations and even my military brothers and sisters, I'm still in close contact with them, and it's been since 2008. And so, in fact, I one of my sergeants messaged me last night, and he said, you're the only soldier or airman I had that, that could handle the stress, you know, and, the, and things like that. And you kept me, um, he said, you kept me solid and helped me be a leader and things like that. And so, according to some friends, you know, personally, I guess we've helped each other out throughout times. Um, you know, recently, one of the young ladies that I served with, in fact, we kind of have a rough story. We weren't even friends then. We actually were frenemies. <laughs> we couldn't stand each other. And um, but we we reconnected since then because we've grown up a lot and um, and really, you know, talked it out and different things. And now she's one of my more solid friends. And not long ago, she contacted me wanting to commit suicide through different PTSD and different things like that from what we went through in Iraq. And um, we just have to have our buddy system. You know, you you become family with the people you were there with in a lot of ways. And I can trust them. I can talk to them more like family than I can my own relatives. Yeah. It's the shared experiences, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of civilian life yeah that is also a very different thing um you you mentioned that you know uh the countries the two countries that we talked about were liberating do you see them having the people there now do you see them living better now or worse do you see them having any future now you know it's hard to say. And when I was in Iraq, I heard a lot of testimonies from the interpreters that were on base. And they talked about how evil Saddam was and his sons and how harshly they ruled, you know, Iraq and how they stole money, starved people. I mean, they were guilty of their own genocide and different things like that. 
Um, but one of the things that they said, and I found it really interesting, was as strict and harsh as it was, everybody knew the rules. So with that being said, they could still participate as a family. They could still go to the park and have family time within the structure of the rules. And um, and so a lot of people miss that. Like a lot of the Iraqis miss that because now it's just pure chaos. We removed the head of the snake, and now we have the tail to deal with. We have the, you know, at the time we had the al-Qaeda, and we have the ISIS now, and we have you know, a lot of different extremist groups there running crazy and no one wears a uniform. So it's hard to tell if your neighbor is, you know, ISIS or not and and what's to come of your life. It's just I don't think it is better for them in a ways. Now, I I have, I do approve that. Um, I agree that Saddam needed to be removed due to the genocide he did with the Kuwait and different places like that. And maybe I'm wrong in saying that. I don't know. But um, because I think it was Kuwait. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I'm tired. And that's another thing with my PTSD. I've only been sleeping about maybe three hours a night in the past two or three nights. And it comes in cycles to where I, I don't sleep and I do sleep. And it's just it's crazy. And it's hard as a single parent to, to operate on three hours of sleep. But um, and then so history starts to get kind of confused and blurred. <laughs> But um, no, I don't think so. And when it comes to Afghanistan, definitely we're not, they're not in a better situation now. No. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the missteps that we've had to deal with and that we're going to have to deal with going forward too. I was speaking in a very hopeful and idealistic manner. Do you see those two countries ever having a good future? And if you do, what is the key to it, in your opinion? What is the key for those countries, for those people who actually have a better future, in your thoughts? You know, for for a better future government-wise, I, I don't know. I can't answer that. From the looks of it, I don't, I don't see anything better coming of it. Um, but personal experience, I think in order to better their lives, and it's hard to say because I have, like, these two groups of, of people in my head. Like, I have the special forces people that are hiding and starving and can't work and go out in public in Afghanistan. And then I have the average family that just wants out away from the Taliban reign. And um, I would say in order to better a future, you have to unite. You have to drop the – it's hard. There's so much, there's so many cultural differences. And I think the culture enmeshes with um, even the religion so much and with government so much that it makes it hard. But uniting and um, just building your own trust-based system, for me, living with PTSD is my struggle. I I make my family my priority. And every day, I'm happy to wake up to have my two beautiful children and if I can do anything to provide for them or be a better mom to me, that's success and that's that's happiness. And so I think that the people from these countries are going to have to really find their own happiness now. They're going to have to search deep and, and find what what gets them out of bed every day. You know, it's, it's a grief and a, it's a loss. I mean, you lost a government. A whole damn government just took off. 
<laughs> I've never heard. It. Has that happened anywhere else in history? Every now and then, here and there, but they're usually. <laughs> see, that's one of the things with um, the war podcast is that for a lot of people who've not been in the military, who've not been overseas, especially for a lot of Americans, the concept of war is just something that is over there. Right. It's, you know, something happening at a very great distant far away where people don't know what's happening. But that's not it. War is here. It's with us. It's with people who have been in it. And it's it's with you. You went there. You we were there. You saw everything. And you brought it back. We all brought it mm-hmm. back. So yeah. whether even I, we do, I see a lot of Afghans who are living in the you know, stateside or Europe, and they think that, you know, they've grown up there, and they think they're not affected by war. But the very simple reason that they're not in Afghanistan and they're not in their home is that war. It's a war. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, to us, it's, it's, it's about telling stories of people who actually experienced it firsthand, who saw what happened, and who learned from it who either grew from it or, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it was the end uh, of the time and the end of the line for them. You and I are privy to the to the depression, to the PTSD, to the suicides that the service in the military causes. Right. And while it's it's a sad fact that we have to, you know, we deal with every day and live with every day, it also, I think, it defaults on us to actually make sure that we don't go the same route. That we don't do the same thing because the stories need to be told. How many people have asked you about what happened to you? Not many people do. No. You know, it's it's also a self-preservation. Uh, See, this is what happens to me. It's hey, also it. <laughs> people preserving themselves from the horrors that it we is. see you know, out there. And it's a normal thing. Everybody does it. We just you know, people in the military just they they just have, have a higher tolerance for it. So it's yeah. normal. But at the same time they also feel more because if they didn't they wouldn't be you're wearing that uniform, they wouldn't be listing. Right. So my take is that, you know, what you've experienced, it's I honestly I am a fan of what knowing what happened. Could have been, you know, it doesn't, it's not, every story out there is glorious and filled with, you know, Hollywood-style um, action scenes. No, it's the little things. It's small things that make yeah. the biggest differences. Um, to wrap up, and it's been, it's been good to wrap up if you could do it all over again. Would you? Why? Absolutely. And if not, why not? <laughs> yes, I would do it all over again. It's who I am. It's it's what I was born to do. Um, it's my passion and my heart. Um, it's my calling. <laughs>